Bridge is an acronym for books recycled to instruct, disciple, guide, and educate. We firmly believe that reading is critical for Christians to grow in their faith, and so we strive to make Bibles and gospel-based Christian books available at very affordable prices. Our purpose is to share the glorious good news of Jesus Christ through written and spoken word. We do this by providing resources and educational opportunities for people to grow in their knowledge of biblical truth so that they are equipped to share that truth with others. You can visit our website at bridgebookstexas.org where you can find our Reformed podcast, Bridge Radio, where we bring on Christian authors, apologists, and scholars such as Dr. James White, Dr. John Frame, Joe Beakey, Jeff Durbin, John Sampson, and Tim Trumpert. You can find Bridge Radio on iTunes, Android, Windows, and Google Play or stream via our website. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 three through five. Welcome back to another episode of Bridge Radio coming at you from the great state of Texas, the promised land, proclaiming the gospel fearlessly and faithfully. I am your host, Julio Mar Rodriguez. You can call me July. And with me, I have my two co-hosts, as always, from the Valley himself, the theologian, A.W. Varilla. Hello, everybody. I'm back. And to the right of me, I have, he's been on the podcast before, but he's the pastor, uh, Chad McCartney. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Oh, you want to go ahead and go, yeah, Chad? You have to give us your theologian, theologian name. So, yeah. what is what's your what's your middle name? So, so you know, it's A W Verilla. My, my theologian name is P Chad. P Chad. So you <laughs> don't have a middle name. That's right. Oh, oh so man. just P Chad. So you just really? P Chad. Kind of like Madonna. Oh, okay. <laughs> just known by one okay. name. <laughs> I was I was afraid there that your parents didn't like you that much and decided not to give you a middle name. <laughs> <laughs> so we joke around here in the podcast. Yeah. So the, 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 the Abe wants me to say J O Rodriguez, and I'm yeah. I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that, but we call. A.W. Verilla because I keep calling him Gabe. Yeah, because my name is Abraham and he kept calling me Gabe's in the first podcast and it was driving me loco. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so today we have a very um, uh, interesting topic. Last week we had Sam Storms on and and that was was awesome. That was on continuationism, sensationism, and the spiritual gifts. Please check that out. We also have other podcasts. We're on uh, episode 36 and and you could find us, if, if you're new, on iTunes, Google Play, Android, Windows, and we're actually going to be uh, publishing our own app soon with Subsplash. Yeah. So we're working on that, but that's not released as of yet. So uh, until then, just subscribe to the uh, regular podcast platforms. But we're um, almost there. We're almost there. Yeah, yeah we're like yeah. three weeks out. Yeah, so it's, it's exciting. It's, it's gonna exciting. Be really good. Um, so anyway, yeah. So today's topic is going to be on spiritual warfare, um, a topic that I think to everyone both uh, unbelievers and believers find quite interesting. 
Um, I know Hollywood uh, portrays, uh, you know, demon possession and oppression in, in a particular way. And I actually recently went to go see the movie uh, uh, Hereditary. And uh, it, was, it was a recent horror movie that came out. And, uh, and it was quite interesting. I was sitting down and watching the movie. And from every horror movie commercial that I see or film, yeah. uh, I always think of this book and, and our guest that we have on uh, yeah. just from some of the material that, that we've written, mm-hmm. uh, that he has written. And, uh, and we have Chad on here because uh, the guest that we have on actually came down, correct, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to train our church, our leadership in, in, uh, in, in demonization and this. So it's going it's to be a very, very exciting uh, um, uh, topic and podcast. Now I know there's a point where we'll talk about it from a pastoral perspective. But of course. All right. I think Carl's been really influential for us personally. And I think kind of maybe the conservative evangelical movement to bring uh, a greater perspective to that and help Correct. pastors in that movement that have tended to avoid that topic <coughs> handle it in a in a healthy way. So I right. appreciated that very much. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty exciting, especially down here in the Valley when we're just culturally uh, where you have to deal it's with it. It's a huge issue here, it is. which is why we were so, you know, we had, I've been reading so much about it and just feeling the need to, <clears throat> to be better informed about it. Mm-hmm. When I came across his book, right. uh, it gave me a contact to bring down and it was a a, a big game changer for us. Yes. And again, just for our listeners, we are in the Valley, uh, Laredo, at the bottom part of Texas. Just to give some context, there's a lot of witchcraft, yes. uh, yeah. weird cultish, demonic stuff that mm-hmm. we will see quite often here in the city yeah. and also across. So uh, anyway, I'll digress and let, let's go ahead and introduce the man himself. So our guest received his Master's of Divinity and Doctorate of Ministry from West Seminary, Portland. For over 25 years, uh, Payne has trained people through his discipleship and apologetics material. He is the pastor of leadership development at Antioch Bible Church. Uh, He's the founder of the Transferable Cross-Training Foundation and serves as the chaplain for the NFL Seattle Seahawks. And it's an honor and privilege to have on for for the program for the first time, Dr. Carl Payne. Welcome on. Julio, it's a joy. Man, we I think if I remember correctly, we tried to do this before it didn't happen, and uh, uh-huh. this time around it did, and then when I heard you had uh, Chad with you, Abe, <laughs> I haven't met you yet, but uh, Chad, I consider a friend and fellow soldier, so... Uh, when you when you gave me the shout and said, "Can we do this?" I I thought, "Yeah, as long as the schedule works, let's roll." So it's uh, it's a privilege. Good to be on with you. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask: Are you are you um uh, still still the chaplain of the Seattle Seahawks? No, I stopped that, brother, in uh, in the 2015. Okay. I, uh, I worked with them from uh, basically 92, 93 was when I started just doing chapels for them. And then in 94, I became their chaplain. So it was 94 to 2015. Mm. Wow. And uh, the last three seasons have been with with other folk, but I, uh, I still bleed green and blue. So, you know, if you try to talk to me about, about the Cowboys or the Texans, oh. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll still no. tell you, I'm, I'm sorry, get thee behind me, you know. But, uh, I'm from Chicago, so I don't, I, don't, he's I, don't, I, don't, I don't relate with these guys. We got a tech, I'm a Texans fan, Chad's a Cowboys fan, Abe's a Chicago fan, then we got a Seahawks fan on the other line. The Bears. Well, well t- tell, Abe that, t- tell Abe that I would commiserate with him, because it's been 
been a while since that poor team did much, you yeah. know. But who knows? Yeah. Well, last time maybe we went to this the, is the year. Well, you know, last time we went to the Super Bowl in '06, we beat Seattle in the NFC Championship game. So. Well, Mike Mike Sinclair has been a buddy of mine for a lot of years, and, wow. and uh, you don't get much better, you yeah. know. So anyway, it, <laughs> it's all good, bro. Um. So for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how God called you to saving faith? Um, sure. I became a Christian June 17, 1970 at Woodleaf, California through a Young Life ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was, uh, both my parents were educators. Uh, my dad at a college level, my mom at a you know, K through 12 level. And uh, our, our home didn't have anything to do with religion at all. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't there. I've said before, it just wasn't relevant. So I didn't have a, a good opinion or a bad opinion of Christians. I didn't know what they were. Um, I just thought Christians were nice people, uh, you know. And if you're a nice person, then as long as uh, as long as you know your scale ends up at fifty one percent, you know, to the good, <laughs> since 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 God's loving, then you know if He's there, He'll take you. And if He's not there. Yeah, it doesn't matter anyway. You're right. still a nice person, kind of like Pascal's old wager. And <laughs> I remember my I remember my dad telling me about that. My dad told me religion is like Pascal's wager, and he just yeah. said, you know, it just pays off to be a nice person because you lose nothing. But if there really is a God, then you end up, uh, you know, on His side. So, so wow. he would just, you know, he he would tell me if I ever came home loaded or drunk, I'd get no help with uh, with college. And uh, he meant it. He was a very strong guy, very smart guy, taught most of the ologies. And so, uh, Julio, I don't know if your audience will like this or not. I was just smart enough when I was hungover or loaded, I just didn't come home. So my dad, (laughs) my dad, to his knowledge, I never came home drunk or loaded because, by golly, I knew he'd follow through. So um, I was not a, I was just, people, I asked the guys at school, you know, why they never shared the gospel with me after I became a Christian. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just said, you always seem like you're having too much fun. We just didn't think you'd listen. And I remember mm-hmm. saying to one of the kids, you never gave me a chance to turn you down. <laughs> and uh, uh, he had asked me, I'll tell you the quick story. He'd asked me to, to come to church with him. The first day of school, my senior year, I came with a shirt that had a smiley face on it. It says, smile, God loves you. And I was carrying my my Bible now. I had a good news for modern man, New Testament. And if you'd have told me there were 50 different versions of the Bible, I, I didn't know that. You know, I had my good news for modern man. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, someone had given it to me, so I, I just read it and read it, uh, truly, until the pages started falling off. Man, wow. that was my book. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, a kid came up to me and he said, hey, you became a Christian. And I said, well, yeah, I did. And, uh, and uh, he said, oh, do you want to come to church with me? And I said, you go to church? And uh, he said, oh, yeah, I've been a Christian 12 years. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, I'd like to invite you to church. And I I truly said this. This is, you know, remember I was 17, but I said, well, do they teach you to be a Christian as being like you are, you know, what you do? And he said, yeah. I said, then I'm not going to your church. I said, I didn't even know you were a Christian. (laughs) And I said, I want people to know. That's why I'm wearing a shirt and carrying a Bible and talking about it anywhere I can go. And he looked at me and he said, well, what? And I, I said, we went to school in the seventh grade. You never said anything to me. Eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. Now twelfth grade after I've become a Christian, you invite me to church. I said, if that's what they teach you in your church, I don't want to be a part of your church. Hmm. 
and and you know, I'd have probably been a little kinder about it when I was older, but it just didn't make any sense to me that this guy had been a Christian all this time, and we'd known each other. He never said a single word about hmm. it. And I thought, well, why do I want what you've got? You're embarrassed about what you've got anyway. So, anyway, June 17, 1978 p.m., a 48-year-old guy working for Young Life. I remember sitting there thinking, uh, I am a... Uh, I am an athlete. I am a stud muffin. Uh, I think I'm a something. You are a fat old geezer. What do you have to share with me at 48? Your foot's nearly in the grave anyway. And uh, I didn't. I, I went to chase girls and have fun and, and put up with the talking to do the other. And hmm. he started talking that night about Jesus. And I, man, I just listened and I took hmm. it in. And I, I thought, wow, is this really true? And. Uh, that was on Sunday night, and and I I said you know I I'm listening tonight. I'm going to listen tomorrow night. That was on the 16th. His first message, and I I was just baffled. I, I this he thinks this is true, and uh, the next night he went through the gospel, and I said I'm in, mm. and uh, I, I I haven't looked back since then, brother. So when I have people, wow. and I'm not I'm not suggesting you have or haven't, but when I have people make fun. Sometimes of like Young Life, Crusade, Youth for Christ groups like that, I don't. But uh, I have said they were the group that reached out to me mm-hmm. as someone who wouldn't have anything to do with their church, their Christians, their service. I didn't want anything to do with them. Right. And and they reached out and they pursued me. So I have said I, I still think there's a lot of people out there like me hmm. who weren't hostile. I just didn't know what the—I didn't know the gospel. I didn't— I, I am living proof that you can grow up in this country, you can be a middle-class family, hmm. you can pursue education, athletics, and you can know absolutely nothing about Jesus or the gospel. Hmm. And uh, So at any rate, I, I, I support them when I can, just because I right. think there's a whole group of people that they reach out to mm-hmm. that didn't reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Good stuff. Powerful uh-huh. stuff there. Um, so... Today's topic in the podcast is is on spiritual warfare. You you wrote a book titled Spiritual Warfare, and and so yeah, I, I just want to go ahead and just start jumping into this topic. Um, in your book, you wrote spiritual warfare is a topic in Christian circles that can easily appear like a swinging pendulum. Uh, can you unpack that for our listeners, and and when, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I'll sure try, and I'll tell you again, if I miss where you're going with your questions, you can't insult me. Just pull me back, okay? Chad will do it. That's my job here. Yeah, there you go, Chad, and he's my friend, so that's okay. Um, You're in good company. What what I watched through Bible, I went to a good school, good Bible school and a good seminary. Uh, I'm I'm glad I went to both of them. I went to Multnomah School, the Bible. If you want the Bible, you want Multnomah. And I went to Western Seminary for two degrees. So I know, you know, I, I, I spent time, you know, in both venues. And and the whole time I was there, whenever topics would come up about anything like this, it was just kind of a rolling of the eyes and mm-hmm. saying, that's people that are on at 3 o'clock in the morning, that they're feely, touchy. You don't want to get pulled into that kind of nonsense. Uh, your flesh is really the biggest issue that you have to deal with anyway. Uh, Carl, it will keep you plenty busy. You don't have to start chasing demons behind bushes or anything like that. So we were essentially told to just ignore the whole thing. And and uh, and I would say, to be very honest, even more than ignore it, almost ridicule it. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that huh. the, the people that want to talk about this are just uh, just really shallow. And, and, you know, they're all con men selling snake oil anyway, and, and just stay away from it. <laughs> 
So when I say the pendulum, I saw what I saw was the theological circle I was in would basically ignore the subject or run from the subject. They would share a few cliches that, you know, I'd heard by then, and everybody would just kind of nod their head. Mm. Uh, You know, if you're a Christian, the devil can't touch you. Uh, if you're a Christian because the Holy Spirit lives in you, God the Holy Spirit would never allow a demon to have anything to do with you, so that's off the table. So if you're having issues, it's either because you're very weak-willed, uh, maybe you're really not a Christian anyway, you think you are, or maybe you're just you're, you're, you're just making all of this up. And that was kind of one side. The other side were my buddies that, you know, told me unless I was involved in, in sign gifts, I wasn't saved. That that was the message in the late 60s, early 70s. Huh. And, you know, when I'd come back with verses saying, that's not biblical, and it was, okay, you can be saved, but you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and experience the fullness of God. And I'd come back with Scripture and go, I don't think you can sustain that either. And it's like, well, it's just because the devil has you fooled. And so it was like one group would ignore it. It, it It doesn't even exist, or at least it's not worth. And the other group, somehow, it would kind of, everything got back to, you know, there's demons causing you issues. Mm. And I have said, you know, when I say the pendulum, it was like it's either everything or nothing. Right. And, and I, don't, I don't think you can maintain either position biblically if you're trying to be fair with Scripture. Hmm. Uh, it, it is certainly something that's talked about enough without shame by Jesus and the apostles. I right. Mean, just, in that book, I just try to go through Scripture after Scripture, you know, because... Mm-hmm. I know that I know that the friendly fire from my side would say there's nothing on the Bible about this. It's just experiential, you know. So I want them to understand their scripture. But I'm also doing that because I want the other side, where well, in my heart I feel, or in my opinion I think, I'm going. I really don't care what you <laughs> feel or think. I want to know what's in the book. Right. And if it's in the book, I'll lock arms with you. And if it's not in the book, I can still say I love you as a brother or sister, but I'm not locking mm-hmm. arms if there's not a basis biblical. Mm-hmm. So I really tried to, to to come through and say, what is the biblical basis for what we're talking about? Because the one group ignores it, and the other group right. somehow seems to overblow it. And so you end up with people on both sides looking at each other. And, and, you know, the, for, the, for the one group, it's like you're so shallow, and for the other group, you're so unspiritual. Uh-huh. And when are you going to get with it? And I think non-Christians then just look at all of it and go, you're all idiots. <laughs> I mean, you don't even like each other, man. I mean, what, why, why should I get involved with your Jesus when you guys don't even like each other? So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I said in that is demons don't care about the faith of your fathers. They don't care about your denominations. They don't care about your spiritual gifting. They don't care whether you're Arminian or Calvinist. You know, they, they, they'd love to tie you into arguments, but they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't care about that stuff. Mm. You know, their job number one is to keep you separated from Jesus. Yeah. Their job number two, if they fail on that, is how do I keep you so discouraged that you don't feel like you are worthy or capable mm. of helping somebody else know about Jesus? Huh. So either way, they'll use you know the the religious stuff and the and the arguing and such as a way of just going, you're all idiots. <laughs> so one thing that I'm really taking away from what you're saying is um, is that we must as Christians. We can't go too far to the right or go too far from the left. We have to meet at this balance point, which is where we stand on Scripture, yeah. the authority of Scripture. And if we see it in the Bible, um, that's where we could, like you said, agree and lock arms together uh, on it. Well, that's the thing we ought to be able to agree right. upon. 
mm-hmm. because you know if it's if it's turned into a personality thing or if it's turned into a denominational cliche mm-hmm. thing, it's like it's you're, you're not going to get anywhere with it. So if yeah. we can keep it locked on scripture and just say, you know, what, what's what's the text say? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something that actually you know has a biblical basis? Then Correct. both groups ought to be able to say, okay. Mm-hmm. We can agree or disagree on a number of things, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean we have to agree, uh, disagree on on things that are essential. Right. And and anyone trying to say that uh, the whole demonic issue is something that is ignored in the New Testament, they're 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 reading what they want to read because mm-hmm. you you can't make that statement. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can make the statement, you just can't substantiate it. Right. 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 So so how did a non charismatic ordained conservative Baptist minister ever begin working with demonized individuals? Kind of drug into it, brother. Uh, great question. <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of drug into it. I, I, I started in my first vocational ministry. Now, I volunteered time with Young Life and Campus Crusade, uh-huh. you know, being a student in their ministries and then, and then being a, you know, trying to be a, a student leader and such. And then, uh, you know, I worked in jail ministries where I volunteered my time with a buddy and I uh, there in the Sacramento area, and and uh, uh, finally wanted to go to Bible school and seminary and and such. But I already told you that you know what I had heard was pretty negative about the whole subject, and it was just best to just leave it alone, or you'd be identified as a crazy and a kook. And I remember when the when the uh, president of the seminary I went to, who, who we we started as he's president, and I'm just one of the students, and we ended up colleagues. I mean, dear friends. But but I remember, you know, one of the first things he said to me was he said, Carl, stay away from this subject. And I said, why? And he said, and I'm not saying this part's true, it was just his opinion, but he said, you've established yourself as a pretty good Bible teacher and preacher. And he said, if you delve into this subject, you're going to lose it all because people are just going to equate you as a whack. And so you've just got to, you know, you may think something privately, but don't talk about it. Hmm. And I just said, buddy, if I can, I I will, because I respect you. But if God tells me something different, he agreed. You know, ten years later, he walked up to me, and, and uh, I, was, I was taking a doctoral class in the Phoenix area, and he said, you were right, I was wrong. And I, I said, right about what? I mean, I just walked through the door. And he said, that whole thing with the, the demonic issue, he goes, you were right, I hope you're still working. He said, I've, I've really had to rethink that whole thing. I can tell you more about that later if you want. But yeah. bottom line on this... Bottom line on this, just remind me, take me back to it. Bottom line on this story was, I'm just a conservative Baptist, or, I'm an ordained conservative Baptist minister, went mm. through a conservative Baptist seminary in Multnomah, more of an independent, but they, they line up with Dallas or Western or right. Talbot, you know, one, that, that kind of school. Mm. And uh, I ignored it until, you know, about two years into it, I, I had someone in my front room that uh, I led to Christ. I mean, if someone says to me, well, she wasn't saved, I go, then I don't know how to share the gospel, and I don't recognize the real thing, because I had earlier, you know, uh, been involved with her saying she wanted to become a Christian. Yeah. And yet she would come to my house, and she would have this glary, starey look in her eye, and she would say, I failed God so many times, I'm going to kill myself, uh, I'm a failure to God, to Jesus, my parents, uh, it's never going to get better. 
I would sit her down, you know, my she'd come into our front room, my wife would be working on her cross stitching or reading a book or, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and involved in the conversation, you know, if she wanted to talk to both of us. But I would just take her back to the sufficiency of scripture and and listen, you know, this is all about your feelings and you're being weak willed and God loves you regardless of what you feel and wow. you know, just walk them through the stuff I understand. And I mean this went on and on. And when when I have been working with her as a your weak and you're just not standing on scripture mm. and so I would spend time with her going through that and she would leave fine mm. and she would be fine for months at a time and then she would show up again at my door with this glassy look and sometimes stoned she she was uh, speed was her drug of choice when she would get stoned and and she wasn't doing it every day but just when she would walk in you know I just go, oh no, you know what? What? And she would say, it pushed me. It told me I had to do it. And I would say, it didn't uh, tell you anything. There's uh, nothing there to tell you anything. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and you're you're just being weak willed. So, at any rate, we went through this song a number of times, and the, just different verses on it. And I, I finally said, I want to read something to you. So I took out my Bible. I read First John chapter four, one through six. I got about halfway through it, and this little hundred and five or six or seven pound young lady i mean she was she wasn't very big she reached up and she grabbed my bible and she screamed that her name was a male name a guy's name mm. and she ju- i pulled my bible back i said i thought you know, i'm not giving you my bible you know I, I know what your real name is and i don't know what the game is but you know something wrong here mm. and she just started shredding my bible and screaming the name that, you know, it said, mine, you know, I am so-and-so, and I hate this book, and just shredding my Bible. And I am looking at her, and her eyes flipped up in her head. I, I mean, I could no longer see her eyes. All I could see was whites. You know, they went up. Mm. And then she rolled over on the floor, and she started drooling out of her mouth, and her fingers got all contorted. And I just thought, holy Toledo, <laughs> uh, what what did I just step into? Uh. So I I called. We had a large church, and so I called a number of the pastors. And then I called over. We had a couple of daughter churches, and I called one of the the senior pastor of our daughter's church. I got a hold of one of our missionaries who who told me over the phone that uh, you know he had worked for many years with this kind of thing overseas, and we ended up with ten or twelve men in my front room. And uh, and and our our missionary friend said, "Oh yeah, she's demonized." And and he didn't uh-huh. use the word demonized. He said demon possessed. I don't use that word much anymore. I, I, I we can explain that later. But mm-hmm. but uh, at any rate, yeah, she's she's involved with demons. And, and he would say, uh, "In the in the name of Jesus, leave this girl alone." And it would say, "F you, I'm not going anywhere." Wow. And. Uh, and and the dad, who was the moderator of our board, he's looking, and, and I mean, this went on for hours, and I remember him looking at me, and he said, this is an animal, Where, where'd my daughter go? Hmm. And we got mocked, they would sing, and it was like, hey, you can sing all day, we rule the world, we're not going anywhere, you don't know what you're doing, and we're not going anywhere. Hmm. It was just like thumbing their nose at us. And uh, we we went on for almost 12 hours in my front room. Wow. And finally, finally, one of the pastors stood up and he said, it must be our lack of faith because, you know, if, if we have the faith, it'll go. And so we're going to claim by faith that Jesus is going to make this stop, and we're going to all believe it, and it'll stop. And so he prayed out loud, and then he gave a, you know, commanded this thing, and it just went totally quiet. And they started clapping each other on the back going, look, okay, man, this is, look, she's good. And, and she stood up 
first time in, you know, hours. Huh. She stood up, and, and the dad went over to put an arm around her, and he said, you know, I don't remember what all he said, like, honey, we need to get home. And everyone's going, well, let's sing a song. And so they sing a song about thank you, God. And that girl turned around and looked at me with hell in her eyes, and she just smirked. And everyone else was, you know, praising God and clapping their hands. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I looked at her, and I thought, that thing didn't go anywhere. Uh, that thing was just smart enough that when, the, you know, he heard it say, all right, let's just claim it by faith, and, and it wanted, probably wanted out of there too, you know? And yeah. so it was smart enough to just go quiet. That whole thing was taken as, okay, everything's done. And that girl just glared at me. And I said, after everyone went out the door, you know, and still one of the pastors, I said, she's still in trouble. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, you didn't see the glaring and the staring at me? And she said, no. And I said, that thing was just smart enough to say, you know, I can, I can outlast you because you don't know what you're doing. Hmm. And that was the truth. Ah. So the, the, the long and the short was I didn't look for it. It, uh, it uh, Julio went really contrary to my training and my teaching. It wasn't right. supposed to work. And then especially for someone who, I mean, this the, the dad and his wife were both vocational Christian workers. And uh, they know the gospel. And she knew the gospel. And she, I'd taken her out on mission trips. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I, this this girl, I believe, knew the Lord. And someone can argue with me and say, well, obviously she couldn't. And I said, well, that, that's your supposition. Hmm. But I can I can tell you, I've worked with several thousand people now over the last three decades. I've worked with pastors who've written books that you, Pastor, have probably read. Hmm. And now you're going to tell me he's not saved. And I've had missionaries flown in to talk with me from out of the country wow. that have been mission board leaders saying, we're going to lose these people if. I mean, there's just something's really wrong. Wow. And they're back out on the mission field. Hmm. And so if someone wants to say to me, well, she probably wasn't saved, I go, well, ultimately God knows the heart. But I believe she was. Right. right. But uh, but if you want to hang on to that because it blows your paradigm, you can. I would be more inclined to just say maybe your paradigm is wrong mm -hmm. because I have worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians, including Christian counselors, Christian doctors, you know, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, and, and someone once tries to argue, none of them can be born again, or they're all just putting you on. I go, you know, if you're comfortable living there, you can live there, hmm. and you can keep doing what I was doing. Carl, I'm being pushed to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you. No, you don't understand. I don't even want to do this. Well, I don't believe you. So you're either not saved or you're weak-willed or you're putting me on. Huh. And those are the kind of three, or a fourth would be you're just out of your mind. You're crazy. <laughs> but when you have Christians that are struggling with this stuff and they go to their leaders and say, I'm really struggling, and they know they're going to be ostracized, probably mm. anyway, and or they're going to be told you're crazy or you're going to be told you're making this up, or you're going to be told you're weak-willed, or you're going to be told you're not Christian, which one of those does a person say, boy, I can't wait to talk to you again? So what they do is they just go quiet, and then they'll just say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to hold on to the end of the knot. I hope you come back soon, but I'm not going to church because it doesn't work for me. You know, they don't even, my pastor doesn't even think I'm a Christian, huh, and I'm yeah. not opening myself up and taking a chance of just having more people make fun of me, so I'll just endure this. 
Hmm. And if it gets worse than that, then it'll be, you know, stuff like, well, since Christianity doesn't work, then, then why should I even pretend like I'm a Christian anymore? I thought you loved Jesus. Well, I thought I did, but I figured out either he's not real or he doesn't love me, so hmm. what's the point? And now you have people that are negative, and then you have them have kids, and they'll say, hey, Mommy, Daddy, can we go to church? And they'll go, not a chance. You know, those people isolate you, they make fun of you, they're all hypocrites. In other words, because that pastor, and it was me, it was unwilling to even consider this being real, probably worried about collegial kickback. What will my friends think that are in ministry? Right. You can set off a chain reaction that just goes on and on, and I'd go, really? Is that really Mm. what you want to do? How about just say, you know what, I really don't know very much about this. So what I did, what we did, was we, we got a hold of some people that I trusted theologically that actually said, uh, you know, no, actually this is real, and just said, man, you've got to catch us up to speed. Hmm. Uh, you, you've got to catch us. We've ignored this. So we yeah. got our whole staff, our whole board of elders, our daughter church, one of the two, did the same thing. Hmm. And we flew a guy in from, uh, from uh, British Columbia um, who was 30 years on the mission. He worked, his parents worked with Ruth Graham Bell's parents. Oh, I always wow. thought that was interesting. Hmm. But, uh, you know, his, they both got kicked out, of, Mal kicked him out in 48, and he spent 18 more years in Indonesia, and then he pastored at White Rock Baptist Church for 30 years. I met him in his 90s, but he was still sharp as a whip, and I just said, his name was George Birch, Pastor Birch. I said, would you fill me in on what's going on? Remember he said, he said, he said, son, what do they teach you about uh, about spiritual warfare in school? And I said, to make fun of it. And, and he said, you've got a you've you've got a real education you need, don't you? So he he started walking me through uh, stuff that I had been told for years isn't even real. And uh, I've I told him I thank God for him and others that are willing. I thank God for Chad. I know Chad's willing to stand up. And I go, you reach a point where you just go, I don't care whether people agree or disagree. I really don't. Uh, if you're standing on Scripture, I'll lock arms with you. I don't care what your denomination is. If you won't stand on Scripture, I won't lock with arms on you. And I don't care what your denomination is. Do you stand on Scripture? And and if you do, let's roll. And if you don't, I'll, I'll love you. You tell me you're a believer in Christ, but I'm not going to lock arms as far as saying I have to feel intimidated by you because you you and I disagree I just say, well, I guess we'll agree to disagree, and uh, it's a good thing that uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 11 says, you know, the, the one we're going to stand before that beam of seat is Christ, and he can yeah. sort it all out, can't he? Mm, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Dr. Payne, just real quick, uh, I've heard you said a couple times of the missionaries. Uh, you had mission, missionary friends who've been in the mission field. Um, how prepared are the missionaries when they are studying uh, to go out to different parts of the world where culturally uh, demon possession is like uh, talked about in tribes and in culture and um, are are they prepared to go and to deal with this? Anybody, I'd answer it this way. I would say probably the the safest answer would be say it probably depends on the group and the people going out. But if you're asking for an answer in general, at least what I have, the feedback I've had over 35 some years is, we didn't get any more training on this going through school than you did. And the only difference was you became a pastor in a local church here and we Mm -hmm. went, you know, overseas wherever it was. We took the same training with us. Mm 
mm-hmm. and and they didn't prepare us for this. And they had the to learn on the fly, be, didn't they? Oh, a lot that's of them exactly just, right. Like yeah. your experience, and then they had to. I yeah. mean, they just faced it a lot sooner. Absolutely, and see, that's what I, what I was just going to say, mm-hmm. brother. Is see over there. I've had people say this question to me. Now, I believe, and from your intro, you're right. It's just becoming blatantly overt here. You can't get away from television programs and movies. I mean, Satan is glorified. Demons are glorified. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. it's huh. it's become a thing with kids. I see more and more at a young age getting sucked into this, and most of them don't have a clue what they're getting tied into. Mm-hmm. But at least historically, what you had was you had demons overseas operate pushing fear and intimidation. So they manifest themselves regularly because their job is to basically say we're stronger than anything else you believe in. Mm. That's, you know, the shamanism and all that, it's not real. I go, some of it may not be, but there's a lot of it that is. Mm. Over here in North America, Western Europe, it's like we're empiricists, you know, we're, 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 we only believe the things we can put in a test tube and test through the through the uh, senses. We're mm-hmm. analytical, uh, you know, etc. And 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 so, why would demons mm-hmm. want to man- manifest themselves in overt way when right. you've got people that are already willing to define them away and just let them do their job in the weeds and and uh, mock anyone that says it's real because we are so stinking sophisticated. And as empiricists, everyone knows nothing's meaningful unless it wasn't a human, wasn't either one that, you know, mm-hmm. can't be meaningful unless you right. can test it empirically. Right. Which I still think, by the way, he can't test that statement empirically. So I always <laughs> yeah. thought, your, your, your whole statement is nonsense. If I believe what you say, you know, you've undercut your own program. But, but what I'm saying is when they would ask me, how come the missionaries run into such overt stuff, I'll say, because there, the whole thing is about intimidation. Here, it's about sophistication. Hmm. And demons are smart enough to go, if I can scare you into submission, I will. Or if I can, you know, feed your ego to where you don't even want to uh, confront or deal with it, you ignore it, then either way, I get to play my games. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it makes perfect sense. So yeah. that's been, Abe, I think that was from you. Yes. My experience has just been that, yeah, they, they don't go in much more prepared. Now, second, third generation might. Uh, mm. I'll give you one quick story. I won't tell you the names. I won't tell you the even the okay. state. I don't want to have someone think I'm trying to be mean. But a particular guy that I had worked with a number, he, uh, he knows. He knows how to deal with this. He could walk <laughs> in with uh, Chad or me, and someone was demonized. He could plunk down and start working with it. But at any rate, he was a professional athlete that, uh, uh, you know, after he retired, you know, got real involved in missions work. And he, he gives me a call one time, and he says, man, we got a problem here. And I said, how's that? And he said... Uh, the the people that we're working with, they know this is real. I mean, they manifest themselves overtly. The uh, the spiritism, the shamanism, I mean, it's all around us. And he said, the only church in the whole area is one that says none of this is real. You know, you're making all of this up. And he said, I'm trying to get people to go to church, and the pastor's saying that this is all superstitious and silly. They've been living with it. Their parents lived with it, their grandparents. And so he said, what they say to us is if that parent is that so uninformed that he doesn't know this is real, how can he teach us anything about Jesus? Hmm. So he says, because he has drawn a a, a line in the sand over, uh, you know, this is what I was taught about demonization or demon possession, and what they're talking about doesn't line up with what my education taught me, I'm going to just be a parrot and repeat it, and their response is, then we don't have any reason to come to your church. 
And I just thought, man, don't you need to rethink? If your suppositions are true, then mm-hmm. stand on them, even if you have to stand alone. Huh. But yeah. if you are standing on what I got at school, in my heart, I think, or I believe, or this is what I've always heard, but I don't know any biblical basis for what you're doing, and then you go out and keep parroting that, how many people are you keeping in bondage, or at least allowing to remain in bondage, because you don't even want to deal with the subject? And then when there's this smug attitude about, well, you know, if you are really sophisticated, Christians can get caught up in just as much pride as as you know, so, someone in, a, in, a, in another field. Uh, it's like they're, they're, they're the uh, class G Christian, and I'm the class A Christian, because I went to such and such seminary or such and such Bible school, and I'm going, hey, I got news for you. If that was a standard, none of the disciples would have been in. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't remember too much about the seminary Jesus went to either. Now, I'm all for seminary, <laughs> all for Bible school, but I am not for theological arrogance. Yeah. And when people try to say to me, none of this is real, I say, well, tell me about your experiences with it. Well, I don't have any because I reject it. Yeah. I go, oh, okay, I'm a doctor. I'm going to operate on your brain. I've never had any training in brain surgery, but by golly, I don't even think you need brain. You don't need it, so let me crack your skull open. You would look at that person and go, are you out of your mind? And yet we have guys that will, and I mean sincerely. I don't mean insincerely. I was sincere when I was telling this girl, you're just weak-willed, man. That's what I'd been told to say. Or you're not a Christian, or you're making it up. I was a hunt. I was I was as sincere as a heartbeat. I was just wrong. Hmm. And yet, if someone would have said, "How much study have you done on this?" I'd have said, "I don't need to. It's not real." Hmm. I say, "So you're an expert on something that you know nothing about?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. In- interesting, Doctor Payne. Um, so. In your book, you talk about a common two-fold model of spiritual warfare in oppression and possession. You, on the other hand, explain demonic activity by adding a third category, which is demonization. Can you talk about each of these three experiences of of spiritual warfare? I think they're very, very critical. Yeah, it's that's why I lead off on the first chapters. I I think, I don't have the book in front of me, but I think what I said was that uh, paradigms are man-made, scriptures inspired. Yeah. Uh, you, you want your foundation on what is inspired by God, not what is a man-made paradigm. Well, the the paradigm that most of us my age, you know, uh, younger by a couple decades, older by a couple decades, was pretty much the same. This whole spiritual warfare thing can be boiled down to there is oppression and there's possession. Oppression is an annoyance. It's those goofy thoughts you get once in a while. All you have to do is say, that's stupid, and walk on. You know, you've raised your shield of faith. It goes away. And so anyone who, you know, makes a big deal out of that is just a crybaby because, oh, it's just annoying. Or there's possession. That That's Matthew uh, 8. That's the Gerizine demoniac that's just out of his mind. You know, he runs around buck naked. He howls at the moon. He hurts people. He breaks chains. I don't see very many people like that in my church, so I don't have to consider that. And the people that it's just an annoyance, I'll just say, just stand on the Word, you know, and and, uh, memorize Scripture and say a prayer and everything gets better. That was pretty much where we were at, you know, that's what we were taught. Uh, Again, it was just, you know, kind of cliché and ignore it. And, And so again, if someone would say, I think I'm involved with demons, you'd kind of roll your eyes and say, if you're a Christian, that's not possible. 
And 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 if you're a Christian, all you need to do is suck it up and, and get some backbone and you'll be just fine. And if you insist this is true, then that's just code for either you're out of your mind or you're making this up for attention or you're not really a Christian. That that's that's what we had. And now what I say in the book is you don't have to be out in ministry very long to find out that you've got people where their subjective experience is much more difficult than just oppression, and it's just, uh, you know, it's an inconvenience, but it's no big deal. But it's not nearly as severe as seemingly having no will, no self-will, just totally subjugated to doing wrong things like the Gerizim demoniac. And, And so I would say, what do you do about the people who are in the middle? They, they, they go, that's not this, but it's not this either. And they are made to feel in most churches, or many churches, like they're just on the outside looking in. And if you say too much about it, you're just going to get ostracized, and demons are already whispering in their ear, no one likes you, your pastor's a fake, Christians are phony, Uh, when you read your Bible you don't get anything out of it anyway because you're too stupid, your prayers bounce off the ceiling, no one loves you. If Jesus loved you, why would he let you go through the kind of things you're going through? And so they'll say, okay, I'm hearing thoughts, I'm hearing voices, you know, I I must be schizophrenic, so, you know, now now I've got that kind of label and that kind of problem, and you just kind of suffer in silence. And I have said, who made that paradigm oppression, possession, sacrosanct? Who was the one that wrote that down saying, if you really love God, this is what you believe about spiritual warfare? And I thought, that's an opinion, but it flies against scripture. You know, when I when I look at like a, an Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Anybody who wants to argue that Paul is talking to non-Christians in that church is a theological ideologue that needs to, to wake up. Uh, in other words, I would just say you are you you are so committed to your paradigm and a, and a, and a theological ideology that you have lost common sense. The book of Ephesians, he's addressing believers. In chapter 426, he's reminded them you're supposed to keep short accounts with sin. Don't let the sun go down on it. And you could say immorality, impurity, greed. I mean, you can plug in. It doesn't have to just be angry. In other words, keep short accounts. That's what he's saying. Mm. Why? Verse 27. You do not want to give the devil. So he says who he's talking about contextually. Topos. Uh, Chad probably knows it. A lot of people that haven't studied the language. It was a Greek word. It was a military term. It was used. It meant always literally. At first, that's interesting. Someone can do their homework. They can call you. They can say, oh, you're wrong. I say, do your homework. But it was a Greek word, a military term that meant to give away a place, space, or territory of control. Hmm. It was talking about a real place, a real space, or a real territory of control. So when he says in 26, you've got to keep short accounts with sin. You do not want to give topos to the devil. You don't want to give him a place, a space, or a territory of control. And I would say that is clearly written to believers. In 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4, Paul first starts out by saying, put up with me. I'm the one who led you to Christ. He said that in 1 Corinthians 4, too. I mean, he's their spiritual daddy, right? We already know that. (laughs) He, He was the one that started the church at Corinth. But now he's talking to a group of people where he says, I'm the one who led you to Christ. So in other words, put up with me, I'm your dad. You can trust me on this one. He says, I betrothed you to Christ. You were walking with Christ in purity and devotion as a pure virgin. 
In other words, oh, they were just flaky, stupid Christians. No, actually, he says, I led you to Christ, and you were walking in purity in your devotion to Christ. But he says, I'm now concerned for you, at least just as the serpent was deceived in her mind. As the serpent deceived even her mind. You're being deceived. And then rhetorical, it's like, what are you talking about? He says, you talk about a Jesus, I didn't preach to you. You're involved with spirits. You're now receiving spirits other than the one you had received. And now you're promoting a gospel. We didn't preach. And then he says, and you, it's passive. You, 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 you bear it. You don't even do anything about it. You don't even fight back. And then they say, well, they said they were, you know, apostles like you. Uh, that's, that's their response, you know. Well, we thought we were doing the right thing. They said they were just like you. And his response in 13 to 15, Satan parades himself as an angel of light. Why are you surprised that his emissaries would parade themselves as apostles and teachers of righteousness? In other words, you've been fooled. But the thing that I picked up on that, clearly believers, and yet so deceived, they're talking about a different Jesus. Hmm. But I've asked people, I probably, I probably said this at Chad's, it's been too many years when I was there at the church, but I said, Romans 8 9, can you be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. He says, and Paul writes in Romans 8, 9, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. how many believers have been baptized by the Spirit in the body of Christ? The words, all. He says, we are all baptized by one of the same Spirit. We were all made to partake of that same Spirit. So I'm saying, is it possible to be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit? No. When did he come in my life? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, when you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That's when he came into your life, sealed you, gifted you, etc. So I'm saying, when Paul is saying to them, you're now getting involved with spirits other than the one you had received. Hmm. I know the one they had received. So I'm, I'm saying, you know what, I'm pretty suspicious that the ones that they're now getting involved with that they hadn't originally received are the ones who are telling them about a different Jesus, go ahead and preach him, it's okay. A different gospel, go ahead and preach it, it's okay. And go ahead and get involved with these other spirits of the Holy Spirit, that's okay. And I'm saying, those are born-again believers. So when I would have some of my you know friends you know still running where I had been run, this is just all silly, and if you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about it, because it can't touch you anyway. It's probably just the person who's looking for attention. Uh, I'm going, you're wrong. Yes, there are people that are out of their mind. Yes, there are people who look for attention. Yes, there are people who probably read a, a book on 14 ways to fool your pastor. But it doesn't mean all of them are. And you've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are crying out to you, saying, I love Jesus, I responded to the same gospel you do, I pray like you do, I memorize scripture like you do, mm. but in my head, and where does he say the battle was? In in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 11, 3. Mm. I'm concerned that just as the serpent deceived Eve in her mind. Yeah. It's a mind game. Yeah. So what I said on the paradigm is, how about you drop the man-made paradigm that ostracizes anybody who truly loves Jesus, but you can't reconcile their experience with yours, and how about you say, yes, there's oppression. It's, it's an annoyance, not a big deal. Huh. Yes, there's possession, as long as you understand demons don't own anything. They're squatters. Demons are part of the created being. There's only one creator and one owner. It just means by degrees of control, they have far more control in a person's life than the one who's just being oppressed. But what if you put the group in the middle, and I just call them the de demonization. Hmm. 
They are people where they have been locked into a battle with a demon because they have given away topos, places, spaces, or territories of control. It doesn't mean demons own them. It doesn't mean they have no self-will. It doesn't mean they can't do anything right. But it just means there's areas where, like this young lady would say to me, and I called her a liar for all practical words, if something's pushing me, Carl, it tells me in my mind that I have to do this, and I'm saying, no, you're not hearing that. That's not happening, and that's not real. Shame on me, shame on me, and shame on me. So when I talk about the paradigm, yeah, it's the Christian trained like I was being willing to step back and say, okay, you can run from the groups that make everything, you know, demon, demon, demonization, and say, right. I don't want to be labeled that way out of fear. Hmm. Or you can stand in pride, like most of your training, saying it's just all silly, so ignore it. Or maybe you can say, you know what? The Bible does talk about a whole group of people that I was never informed of hmm. as I, when I was going through Bible school or seminary, where their battles are real. They're not so severe that they can't function in most cases, but it doesn't mean they're not dealing with it. Hmm. And you can either say, be warm, be filled, and good luck, or you can say, actually, when they'll say, you're never going to believe this past, I can't tell you how many people come to my office and they'll say, I hope you'll believe me because I'm not lying. I'll say, why don't you just share your story with me? <laughs> and probably not, probably not much you're going to share I haven't heard before. I don't mean arrogant. I just mean I'm just trying to set them at ease. Going, yeah. you, you, and you mean a real Christian? I go, sure. How about pastors? How about missionaries? Hmm. See, see the, the knee-jerk response from some of my buddies who want to run from this is, well, obviously none of them were really Christians. I go, it's easy for you to say that about a 16 or 17 or 14-year-old kid. What do you do when it's pastors and missionaries and seminary professors and doctors? Because I've worked with them. Yeah. Um, so, so, Chad, uh, Carl came down here to Grace Bible Church, uh, taught some of the elders, taught you. You and him got connected. Um, h how helpful has his book and his teaching been as a pastor, speaking as a pastor, towards um, spiritual warfare? What, what, is, what are some things you've, you've done, have encountered? So a couple things I'd share that I've appreciated about Carl. Before I met him or, or just called him out of the blue, I read probably a few dozen books on, on the topic. And like he said, you kind of get the usual stuff, yeah. either the extreme, and that's the only people that are really dealing with it, so you kind of have to just read that stuff and filter out the garbage, uh -huh. or you get the people that are refuting it all. And then it's a lot of times just theory. Uh, if coming to Carl's book, I think the thing I enjoyed the most about it was both his, his biblical basis, and then it's very much a practitioner's manual. Mm -hmm. He gives you some real practical uh, tools that you can immediately put to use and and uh, and use, and so that in touching base with him and bringing him down to do a kind of a group training, and really just to get some help uh, as I stepped out into it, knowing this is a direction I want to go, but having no experience, wanting to be able to hmm. just you know have a guy that could walk you through some of that, right. uh, he very much right. did that, and and just gives some really good big picture models, like you'll see in his book kind of the three big areas, and I'm going to simplify it for the sake of time, but he talks about the key of just addressing the world, the flesh, and the devil, and how mm -hmm. as conservatives, sometimes we do a great job with the world and the flesh, saying, hey, mm -hmm. these external forces, you got to know that they're going to pass away, let them go, these internal right. 
you know, desires that we have in the flesh, we got to put them to death and submit to the spirit. But when it comes to the devil, we just kind of write him off. <laughs> we say he's there, but we don't really have any tools. We don't really uh, equip people to handle that. And he right. just gives a real healthy, balanced perspective to say, don't just run to the devil being behind every single rock, <laughs> but evaluate all three of these areas yeah. and then determine what really is mm. the area that's affecting that particular person. And that was huge. And in his view of demonization, I think, and Carl didn't address it, but he was addressing his, the old paradigm of oppression or, or uh, possession. Mm-hmm. I like how he has looked at the Greek word for demonization and really seeing it more as a continuum. Mm-hmm. You know, a person could be at a zero or they could be at a 10 and say maybe eight, nine, 10 are the what we would call a possession area, right. so to speak. But you, it's not an either or. There's mm-hmm. a continuum along there in terms of the level of demonization. And some of that as a Christian is related to our continued patterns of sin or maybe mm-hmm. some areas that we are just yeah. becoming weak in, or as he said, you give up ground because of behavior and then huh. it's just a process of reclaiming that, confessing that hmm. and refilling in a sense that those areas huh. uh, as you do that. And it was just very practical. And as a, right. as a pastor, you know, you do a lot of practicing in a lot of ways <laughs> right. and you realize you need those tools and rather than right. just telling someone, I think as pastors, because we feel inadequate, we just say, well, it's your fault. You don't have enough faith. Those are easy scapegoats mm-hmm. for us as pastors to cover up our own inadequacy right instead of digging in and saying you know what i need to grow as a pastor to learn to shepherd my people and deal with the issues we're seeing and and we were seeing so much of this yeah here in our area because Mm. of the context that we're in that i realized i'm not equipped to to shepherd the way i need to and his Mm -hmm. his book and his time has been a great blessing to us and and, and what 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 sort of things have you encountered with people here uh, in in our community? So two two areas I would say just to summarize that are the, probably the biggest that that we've come across is um, maybe maybe three, but they kind of are can be broken into two: the, the witchcraft, the spiritualism, a lot of that Satanism, all those things kind of clumped into. And, and the unique thing about our area is oftentimes those are seen outside the church. There's the church, and then there's those kinds of things. Mm where we're at and in across the border so much of that stuff has crept into roman yeah. catholicism yeah. you know the santa muerte yes. yeah. all those kinds of things that are accepted within the church yeah. and christianity so they don't see them as being bad yeah. and so so many people are wrapped up into it that we've had groups and discussions where literally I don't know people that don't have that in their history mm. wow. in, in groups we've been in every one of them can say yeah I remember my parents going to a you know, a witch doctor or going to this or having this kind of stuff going on in their homes. And mm-hmm. so that's a big one where it's kind of couched under this synchristic type of uh, religion. And so they're exposed to it in that way. And that's been uh, a lot of how it's just crept into kids' lives from the time they were little. The other wow. one here is a lot of generational sin. And he addresses a lot of that as well and an extreme amount of. Uh, abuse within families, mm-hmm. sexual abuse. The other yes. one is just a, oppression of women because of the culture we're in of men. You know, it's being accepted that they can have multiple affairs, they can have multiple families, one yeah. across, one here, just how prevalent yeah. that is. 
and the abuse of feeling that women experience that that bitterness that's passed down from generation to generation and just the sin on both sides becomes so ingrained within a mm-hmm. uh, a family line that that can lead to you know he dresses a lot of the things of the generational sin being uh, kind of a spiritual element that's passed down from one generation to another. Yeah. So those tend to be the yeah. two areas that we've... Do, do they normalize that as, as, when it's being passed down? Like it's okay, like after a while? Oh yeah, I think that's oh, exactly yeah. what it is. It just, I, I, I'm amazed that when I counsel couples that are going through it, how many of the wives say, and this is the, the wife saying that her own mother says to her, you know what, just go back. You're just going to be okay. You just stay with it and you stick it out. And he's just, the husband's continuing that behavior and it's just passed on from generation to generation. And so it just, I think, like you said, passes that ground, that, that means by which they have uh, a hold in their lives. Yeah. And and did you, graduating out of uh, Texas, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure you would, you would agree with Carl that many of these aspects of spiritual warfare are just all together and not even taught before coming in contact with carl did you believe in any of this stuff was it was it really just the community that forced you to address this because you were kind of like carl you weren't looking for it right you weren't looking it was just like people were coming to you with different experiences right okay i fortunately did have one good class uh and dallas was beginning to be a little bit more open to some of these things when i was going through but like he said uh, the reason I think I got to hear a little bit about it is the one class I had that dealt with this was taught by a missionary, a long-term missionary mm. who is a Dallas grad. And like you said, you go on the mission field and you just can't avoid this. Wow. And so he talked about some of his experiences and some of those things. So I was exposed to it. I didn't have a big issue of it uh, biblically necessarily at that point, but I just had zero experience personally with it and so until you're facing it face to face you know you're kind of ignorant of what you need to do or or its importance Hmm. wow he's 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 spot on (laughs) i thought of the word demonism was the word that he was talking Mm -hmm. about that i i don't think i did in your talk or you know in the uh, q a you had with me but uh it just means demon caused passivity then that's what the word means. The, the word that uh, it's, it's used in a participial form, uh, demonism asked 12 times, or demonizomized the verb. And again, if someone wants to do the do the homework, they can. It just means demon cause passivity. And it's the same and word, used, like you said, in all those contexts. Yep. We just translate yep. it into English differently. Uh-huh. Huh. That's correct. Well. That's correct. But it's used with uh, sometimes of people that appear to be clearly non Christians, but sometimes Christians. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, again, it's not talking about owners. If God tells me, can can a Christian be owned by the devil? I go, the devil doesn't own anything. Mm-hmm. He's a yeah. squatter. But there can be, as Chad said, and he was, he, I loved his little the illustration about a zero to ten. Mm-hmm. This is all about degrees of control. Mm-hmm. It's a, and, wow. and when it's down on the bottom end, people just go, I ignore it. You know, it's just silly, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they, they do fine. Uh, you know, I put up my shield of faith, you know, 616 in Ephesians. But it's the ones where they're going, man, That to- there's enough places and spaces that I'm not questioning my own sanity, my own salvation. 
uh, I'm so caught up in fear, I'm so caught up in bitterness or unforgiveness or or I feel so isolated or my uh-huh. my my I'm, I'm always taunted with my prayers bouncing off the ceiling and my Bible study being useless and now I kind of wonder, you know, what, what do I believe? I don't, and they just give up or they don't want to, but and ultimately it ends up with you'd be better off dead than alive mm-hmm. because there's nothing you can believe in anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, I'm right with Chad, and I'm just saying it's that group in the middle, mm-hmm. the demonized, where we have ignored them. You know, Carl... And my book is a plea, just saying, would you learn how to become as comfortable dealing with people who are demonized as people that are struggling with the world or people who are struggling with the flesh? And as Chad already said, he's right. All three are real. Hmm. All three are possibilities. It's not all the world. It's not all the flesh. And it's not all demons. Hmm. But I, I can be an expert on dealing with the flesh. But if they're getting popped by the world or exactly. demons, what do I say? Yeah. Or do it the other way around. I put 100% of my time into dealing with demons. Well, what happens when the guy's getting his natural beat up by the flesh? Right. Well, I don't know. I don't. And, and it, it becomes... It becomes, as I call it in that book, I say it's it's dividing the pie in three places and learning how to recognize and respond to all three pieces of the pie. Yeah, that it just makes sense. You know, Carl. One uh, of the one of the things. Chad, you, I rejoice for you, man. I, one of the things you've shared that I think we can close with because it's such a I think uh, a great illustration of capturing what you're talking about. It helps people maybe break out of the other paradigm. Is you use the illustration of an apartment complex. I believe in the book and in the gist of it you say that as a Christian you know our our apartment complex if if you picture our bodies being an apartment complex or our bodies are is owned by God it's owned by the Holy Spirit and we obviously are engaged in that as a as owners with him to to decide what's going on in there but as a, an owner of a apartment complex you may have a manager that manages it so to speak and you might let a tenant into one of the apartments that's not consistent with what you want the apartment complex to stand for, so to speak. And once they're in there, you know, they're in there, you've done something, you made a poor decision, and now they are sitting or they're, you know, renting a, a room from you. Uh, but if you just do nothing about it, they remain in ownership of that, even or, or possession of that room, even though they don't own the building. They have position, possession, they have authority to do what they want in that room. And until you go and give them an eviction notice that you have the authority to do, they're going to stay in there. And like you said, the, the demonization deals a lot with causing a passivity that just says, oh, I'm going to just see if they're going to be okay. I'm going to let them stay there a little bit longer. And it continues to wreak havoc. Mm. And until you exercise the authority you have in the person of Jesus Christ and the possession of the Holy Spirit, that person is going to stay and remain in that apartment complex. And I just felt like that is such a good paradigm or an illustration of mm. what's happening and exactly what you're talking about in that realm of working with people in that s- situation. It's not, it, right. as opposed to a possessed person who doesn't own the complex and the devil can't be pushed out by their own authority because they're possessed. A Christian does, but their passivity is allowing that that demon to have residency in some way or have influence in an area of their life hmm. until they exercise the authority they have in Christ to remove them. Right. Hmm. Uh, Chad, very, very, very well said. I can I can own a building 
I can rent it out to renters. Doesn't make them the owners. Mm-hmm. They're, if they're a good renter, you go, boy, that was a smart thing. If they're a bad renter and they're beating the tar out of it, <laughs> I go, you may you may want to say, you know what, you you got to go. Mm-hmm. They right. at no point become the owner. Yeah, uh, it just means I was I was willing to rent it out to someone to beat the place up. Mm-hmm. So do something about it, but <laughs> Chad. That that's that's very well stated, Ben. You did. I just stole that from your book, by the way. (laughs) You're you're just patting yourself on the back, Carl. (laughs) You guys should write a book together. No, no, here's who I'm patting on the back. I'm saying 2 Timothy 2.2 is alive and real. Hmm. And and I can learn how to share uh, material about recognizing and responding to demons just as easily as I can learn how to share the gospel or I can Mm -hmm. share assurance of faith or... In other words, mm-hmm. it's if it's biblical, share it in a way that a person says, I get it and I can use it, instead of, man, that is so profound, I'll never be like you, so I'll never figure it out. Yeah, I go, that's great for the one person. Hmm. It just dies with them. Mm-hmm. And, and our Christianity is supposed to be transferable. So yeah. uh, now that I, my praise is to God going, it's transferable. Mm-hmm. And now Chad's sharing it with others. So I go, guess Amen. what? <laughs> we win. Yeah. Right. Amen. 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 Well, you could pick up uh, Spiritual Warfare by Dr. Carl Payne here at Bridge Ministries. Uh, we have about three or four copies on our shelf. Uh, it's been a tremendous blessing to me. I've actually read it twice. One thing that I truly liked about it, uh, as we've mentioned here, is that it's just a well-balanced book um, on, on the subject of spiritual warfare. Um, this podcast didn't by no means cover everything. There's much yeah. more to get to in the book. Um, maybe Dr. Carl Payne would be willing to come on for a part two of the podcast yeah. to, to dive more a little bit into it um but uh the invite is is open and maybe we'll we'll, we'll get him on a, a second a second time dr carl Payne. but um where, where can they find you uh for for our listeners uh, well i'm i'm still at the same church i've been at for the last 26 years okay I'm at antioch bible church uh in redmond washington uh i say seattle just because most people don't know what you know where Redmond or Bellevue is, but we're just we're we're about thirty minutes north and east of Seattle, so I'll just say we're in the Seattle area, Antioch Bible Church in in Redmond, and okay. uh, they can they can they can although my website is is uh, being re- it's in the process. I've got a guy helping me with it. Uh, I won't bore you with the whole story, but <laughs> but at any rate, there's still you can catch it just CarlPayne.org. All right. They can either go. They can either go to transferablecrosstraining.org, which is what it originally was, and then someone said, "Carl, it's too long." Just say CarlPayne.org. So I, they can go to either place, and it'll take them to the same place, and they can uh, they they can keep up with what's going on there. And it's All K. Right. It's K A R L P A Y N E. Carl. Thank you, Chad. Got to clarify. I take ten percent off anything that comes in from that. <laughs> Which well, is nothing. We'll exactly. Way. Exactly. And, and, and I'll answer your question, Julio, right now. Man. I, I go first. This was a joy, and B. As long as you got Chad tied in with you, know, <laughs> you know, well, me for part two, part awesome. B, and we'll tag we'll tag team it together. Right. We will. Right. Right. Awesome. Well, I got to get you on quick because Chad's Chad will be bouncing out. Uh, yeah. yeah. We, yeah, we may soon. both be coming in from the same area. Oh now. yeah. No. Oh, yeah. True. That'd be awesome. Then. Yeah. That's can... true. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Carl Payne. Well, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up um this next two weeks to end off june i'm going to be publishing uh as podcast the bridge conference audio of steve paulson and eric Hernandez, and uh, we'll start back up with a new series and new guests starting july 
And uh, thank you so much for listening. Like and share this podcast and uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom all are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And uh, we will see you on the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you.